to another edition. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's one of my good buddies, my friend from all over the world. We've been together. We've traveled everywhere. Autry Fulbright II from Annual Notice by the Trail of Dead, from Vanishing Life, from Shock Cinema, etc., etc. More on that in a second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can head over to... Actually, screw it. You can send an email to turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you use Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. And you can find that at facebook.com slash turned out a punk. And don't worry, we don't ever fill any surveys on that. So, you know, if there's a leak, it's not on our end. You don't have to worry about that. But if you don't use Facebook, like myself, um, there is a Tumblr page where we post all the cool stuff that gets sent into the Facebook page. And that is at turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. That works. That's close enough. I think that might be it. If you would like to support this show, the best way to do that is by heading over to iTunes and subscribing to this podcast. If you don't already do that, writing a review for it and rating it would also be awesome. Thank you to everyone that does that. It means a lot. It really does. I don't know why, but it does mean a lot somehow. Uh, while you're there, you'll notice there's some other podcasts in the Turn Out of Punk family. There's, of course, uh, Turn Out of Punk Footnotes, hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole, where we dissect every episode of Turn Out of Punk. We're going to get a lot to dissect with this episode. You'll find out why when you listen to it in a second. There's also Oil and Flowers, which is hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself. And on that, we talk about cannabis from two uh, cannabis medicinal users perspectives, which is what we are. And uh, we are looking at the course of legalization as Canada hurdles towards legalization. So it's a fun podcast if you enjoy cannabis or if you're just interested in cannabis, you should listen to that one. And uh, we can't talk about support in this podcast without thanking the fine folks at Vans. Vans came aboard, said, Damien, you do this podcast. Just don't pay for it out of your own pocket anymore. And uh, you just book whoever you want and just keep making it the way you make it. And that's what I've been doing. So thank you very much to the fine folks at Vans for uh, helping make this thing possible. Speaking about making impossible things possible, we are now making it possible for you to take in all the impossible deluge of music that comes across on this podcast. Because I've started making these Spotify playlists now. Uh, I'm having fun doing it, you know? I just go through, find something about, you know, uh, a bunch of stuff in the interview, kind of put together a little playlist. You can find it over there on Spotify. Hopefully other streaming services are going to be coming soon. I just only have an account for one, so that's why. But uh, there's a, a Turned Out of Punk. Actually, there's not even a Turned Out of Punk. There's a Damien Abraham artist page. You can find all the playlists there. There's also, if you search for them, though, Turned Out of Punk, and then the name of the artist you're looking for. So I've done them for the last few few episodes and this one will be up in a couple days if not already and so yeah check out those playlists Woo. on to today's show today on the show my friend Autry Fulbright the second one of the most positive awesome people I've met in music uh, he plays in you know a, a plethora of great bands and you will know us by the trail of dead uh, and vanishing life kind of being the two that are touring most now or playing out most these days it seems uh, and just, yeah, someone that I've 
you know, met in Germany, met in America, met in Japan, and hung out with, and wanted to have him on the show for a long time. He's a touring machine. If he's not touring in his own projects, he's out there with Flying Lotus and just, you know, kind of tour managing other artists and helping them navigate the 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 sea that is tour life and things like that. So we just decided to make it happen over the phone. This is a fun one. This one goes deep, uh, as you will hear why. Um, we we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we have a lot to get into. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Everyone, please just sit back and enjoy Autry Fulbright II on Turned Out a Punk. Autry, thank um, you so much for coming on the show. Oh, man, I'm happy to do it, for sure. This is something I've been looking forward to. Well, I, th- as I was just telling you off here, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time as well, hoping that we could do it in person, but was finally just like, you know what, we're going to probably wind up doing a lot of parts for this thing, so let's just get the first one out over this phone line, and wouldn't you know, we've already recorded like a podcast worth of material off off the record before this, so... We've got uh we've got a lot to oh, talk well, about. Yeah, I, I loved it, and, and I and I think that I'm generally fine with anything that we we talk about. Although this this new thing with uh, whatever happened recently with uh, the journalist in <clears throat> in the White House, he, he I guess his claim was that no one told him that anything had to be off the record. He had total free reign, which is. <laughs> pretty awesome <laughs> I can imagine that 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 was the hardest thing is that like no one was concerned about anything that they were saying which is uh which I guess is a nice way to live <laughs> sure <laughs> well let me tell you there's been some unbelievable things admitted to on this podcast and spoken about on this podcast but every time that happens I give the subject plenty of opportunity to be like you know what Actually, let's cut that out of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. There have been some things where someone's like, "No, no, it needs to come out." Yeah, like wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, there's been some things where I'm like, you know, there's no statute of limitation on murder, so I don't know why you're saying that on the podcast. But that's not for us to dwell on today. That's not about them. This is about you, my friend. And I want to start this off the way I start them all off, which is Autry. How did you get? into punk what was the first time you ever came across the genre man um i think that it had to start i I was born and raised in los angeles california and fortunately while i'm not sure if it's this is the case now at the time in the mid 80s um k-rock q106.7 definitely played a lot of punk and a lot of what someone called underground music or 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 whatever that they, they would play the you know u2 and they would play whatever was you know the bands of the era but los angeles being you know by x being an anthem for the city being a very raw like political commentary um that really resonated with me at probably like six or seven years old so this had to have been like 87 88 when i first found someone something that opened me up to the idea of punk and for me uh 
growing up as a kid and getting involved in popular culture, counterculture, and also being raised a Jehovah's Witness. But by liberal-leaning Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, so, so I have these kind of like leftist people in a very conservative, like, structure and, and religious um, sect. Hmm. Being raised with that, you know, conflict, I wanted to, like, latch on to something that seemed rebellious and seemed like to be full of useful energy and abandon and speaking out against injustice. And, and also just sounded great to me, but I also had this kind of constriction too with religion, but I was like, Oh wait, punk rockers, they can shave their heads. You know, that's, that's a punk hairstyle. And like being in a conservative religion, they don't mind if I have a close, like shaved haircut. That's fine. That's so I was just like, I can identify, <laughs> I can be a punk. I can dress like, you know, I can dress like a young skin. I can be, you know, in you know button downs and 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 my parents which unbeknownst to me totally knew what punk rock was because my dad was really into music like he got into it when i started to get into bands that were on epitaph records after kind of scouring through x's catalog and connecting the dots and 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 fortunately back in this time too from the late 80s to the early 90s there were bands that became acceptable faces of punk rock on mtv and all i had to do was open up the liner notes and you can through finding out about rancid or, or bad religion you can really dig deeper and you're hearing about like crimp shrine and yep. you know your fear and suddenly you know oh that, and that rancid let's go record is like a, a rosetta stone for kids like you could go through those flyers and like you know that's what I did. Like oh, the exact sure, same man. thing. That they like that's they did. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, they did such a great, like a great service to all of us kids out there. Where they just kind of were like, okay, you think you like our band? Well, here's a whole universe for you to explore. The best thing about punk to me is that it opened kind of my mind up and my heart up to every other music because it was only a matter of time if I was like, you know studious enough to keep looking at liner notes keep looking at flyers and digging bands eventually if you have started with let's go and and kind of looked and saw that citizen fish was mentioned or doa was mentioned you start like digging deeper into like the california music scene go down from the bay area down to you know la and the suburbs and the beach cities and then eventually you'll come to SST Records. You, it won't take long for you to get there, really. Mm-hmm. SST to me is like such a catalyst for a lot of, you know, it's such a great label. It's very important for me to mention that SST was the next step probably from from X's Los Angeles to Rancid's Let's Go. Definitely finding out about the Minutemen and their album, What Makes a Man Start Fires. And I remember I had moved from L.A. to the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia at the time. And it was hard to get exposed and to be accepted in my exposure. Not that, you know, punk at the time was ever something people really, truly accepted just in the normal culture of the time. Mm-hmm. But it was harder to be in the suburbs of Georgia in the early 90s rather than it was being like in metro L.A. Yeah. Punk was a little bit harder to grab and a little bit, you know, met with a bit more like, hostility or apprehension mm-hmm. but when i found this record it was to me so such a provocative title it really spoke to me in the same way that you know 
Hunter S. Thompson or, you know, Gregory Corso or like any, any provocative or any like kind of like epiphany when it comes to what grabs you in literature or what grabs you like in terms of imagery and what, you know, what was behind those words. So that, that album, the cover the, with the Ray, Raymond Pettibon like artwork and, and the, the title and, and the songs Bob Dylan wrote propaganda songs, I believe was the first song on that record. This seems so like irreverent to me. That was the first thing Bob Dylan, like my dad, a baby boomer, his hero, you know, you know, the, and then for the, this band to like have this very, you know, very strong statement and what they were, you know, saying when well, they, they were then adding not just this very cerebral literary idea to punk rock, crossing over into jazz and crossing over into like funk and country with double nickels on a dime. Because once I got into SST, then the Minutemen especially, I started getting every Minutemen record. Because I was like, there's the songs are short and they're very diverse and they're very intelligent and they're very still punk. And so well, that just blew open punk rock for me because then I was like, any SST record I need to get. And fortunately, which maybe wouldn't have happened in L.A., was being in a suburban town outside of uh, Metro Atlanta, there was this pawn shop that had a bunch of CDs, and some poor guy either had to sell his CDs or he got to shit jacked because mm-hmm. they had an entire collection of these rare SST records that to this day I still can't find. It's, they had, like, it was crazy. Yeah. It's amazing when stuff it like that like turns up in those situations. Could, Man, it was crazy. And my dad was very like, even though he was conservative and so was my mom, you know, they met because my dad was like a music manager in the late 70s. And my mom was like a singer songwriter. Oh, really? And even though, yeah. So even, and, and, and he managed the band. He ended up managing her, her project. Did they, they put it, did they, they had, did they put out a record or anything or? Man, all my mom's stuff is back then is probably like singles that you, that don't even exist on the internet, you know, anymore. There's there's stuff that she's written that, um, and ghost written for people that you definitely have heard of. But she probably like in her her very religious state, she's she's very specific about the type of music and and persona that she has now. Mm-hmm. But I definitely. Um, was fortunate enough to have parents that really appreciated music and came from a musical background, even though they were still pretty conservative. You know, I have to come back to uh, the fact that my dad would take me every weekend to this same pawn shop. And he knew I was like any SST record. And I, and I got some great ones. Obviously there is the bad brains and dinosaur junior records that, that SST put out, you know, Sonic use. And then, um, all descendants all that and then there's like killer tweaker bees and crazy backwards (laughs) alphabet and all this stuff that i blindly was like it's it's sst i gotta have it and then i bring bring it home and i'm like oh it's (laughs) exactly (laughs) sounds like great kid like threw a guitar down the stairs for 20 minutes but i was like but it's not sst you know so the pre pre pre-internet days of uh, buying SST CDs as a young person was exactly that. It was like a complete crapshoot. You come home with something completely smoking, like a Husker Du record or, you know, the stains, or you come home with some Greg Ginn farting on a guitar. 
Yeah, with like Hotel X. Uh, and I'm not saying any of these records are necessarily bad because I need to revisit them. And this is just coming from me that like I I got it without without prejudice. <laughs> I was literally like an eyeballing an SST logo and saying, I'll take it. Yeah. And then going home. And some of those didn't make it past like the first track. How did you stumble on the Minutemen first before uh, finding these SST but records? It was – I. Because I haven't even mentioned Black Flag. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even like, mentioned that, which, you know, the reason why is, uh, you know, the name was just very, like, to me, I was into, like, history, like, as, as a young kid. So yeah. the idea of this um, band that was named after something that, that reminded me of the Revolutionary, like, war, it reminded me of, like, you know, strat- you know military strategy and history. And... Like I said, the What Makes a Man Start Fires and the, the artwork, um, which maybe became, became another step in, of, of me like cementing punk to me because one of the, my favorite, you know, yeah, I guess you could say icons, but figures in, in punk rock has, has to be like Raymond Ginn, you know, because his his art was just as important to me as was punk to me and was important to me as the music with mm-hmm. those, you know, Black Flag Records and, you know, Minutemen Records and, you know, Sonic Youth. You know, that was just as important to me for for punk, like, more so than, you know, than many records that I I had. Like, the artwork of those those really, you know, impressed upon me a certain ideal and a certain... uh, just a certain drive and connection to the music. And I think just when I saw the Minutemen album, that was just, it just stood out to me. I didn't know anything about, uh, about black flag really yet. I hadn't, I'd kind of sidestepped black flag for some reason. Um, I had gone from like listening to like East Bay area stuff. Um, and then Southern California, like punk. And then I like volleyed over to DC stuff because SST taught me the value of checking out a label and just devouring whatever you could from that label. So once I realized there was discord and amphetamine reptile and, you know, mm-hmm. all these different labels, you know, matter, obviously sub pop, simple machines. I can, you know, J tree, you know, I can go on and on with labels that like, once I saw a label and I liked a few things and they seem to have like a solid roster of interesting you know, ostensibly interesting bands, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I, I, I would just follow that label and get anything that I could. Mm-hmm. I know the first time I heard of, of fucked up was because I was a huge fan of things that J- Jade tree put out and, and the name sounded cool when you guys looked <laughs> interesting, you know, <laughs> it, the art was interesting to me. Like the same thing with, you know, trail dead, the band that I, you know, ended up years later, you know, joining, the first time I really got involved with them was the allure that this was a punk band in Texas. And that seemed like such a, such a statement, like I was saying about being in a kind of liberal or counterculture or oasis in the middle of, of Texas. Like it seemed mysterious and dangerous. Like they were these, like, you know, the bad cowboys walking to town. Well, you mentioned labels. Like, yeah. that's the reason I got into them is because they were on Trans Syndicate Records, you know, early on. You guys were on oh, Trans yeah. for that first record. And that to me was like, 
like you said, like Amphetamine Reptile, like, you know, that's a label where it's like, oh, they had the Cherubs. They had, like, they put out, like, a lot of cool stuff. And uh, it's like, you know, like I would check out that label and try and check out bands on that label because of that label association. So, like, when I heard that. I actually. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. You're, you're saying when you heard that, like, because they had Sheriffs and Big Boys, and so, yeah, Trance was a great label. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like... I want to mention that that I tried to... I want I wanted to get Trance, uh, Jason, and I had talked to him. We were like, let's talk to King Coffee from from the Butthole Surfers, and let's let's tell him that we want to, like, start Trance up again. Yeah. Let's do it. We'll do, like, Cherubry issues. We'll do, like, you know... You know, we'll do fucking like, you know, a new trail like single. We'll do, you know, butthole service stuff. And then he, when we offered him, you know, like a terms, and he was just like, nah, let, let it stay in the past. <laughs> Which I was like, ah, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta respect a man that like understands the import of what he did, but he just, that's just where he wants to leave it. And that's fine. Uh, yeah, like it. He doesn't need anyone fucking it up. Yeah, and I guess like <laughs> if you sure. if you're like King Coffee and you're in the butthole surfers, you're probably like conf- you're probably satisfied enough with your legacy that you don't need to like you know you don't need a glory lap. But that being said, what a run of records! Like you know they put a Rocky Erickson records. Oh yeah, you know it's like Dude, uh, what a what a cool label. Austin has like such a, a rich legacy of like really cool music and and that was something that you know maybe was it was a much later step in the idea of punk but ultimately punk started with really identifying as a kid growing up in la with the ex song los angeles which Mm -hmm. the first there because she had to leave los angeles (laughs) it's a place that i it's a place i leave all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's definitely something that was, that was the first the first spark in my mind and then uh i haven't listened to rancid in a while but it's it's cool too to grow up and get involved in, in this music but then and then come across eventually people that you you know really looked up to and, and realized you know like man i was listening to quicksand years and years and years before I met, you know, Walter and toured with him and, and started making music with him. Yeah, and like I think that that's the yeah, dream. Ahead. No, that's the dream, like of doing this band like thing. It's like, you know, like people like us, like you know, as fans, like getting to like be peers with the people that you grew up being a fan of is like there's nothing more validating in music, I think. I kind of think that's unique in certain ways um, to, you know, punk, you know, quote-unquote punk. Like it's, it's a place where we're remembering, you know, how it felt to go to these, you know, sweaty shows and the impact that it had on you as a, as a youth and, and you know, you know, just what that means. And I feel like there's a certain type of camaraderie that I feel could be unique to punk rock you know or the, the the idea of punk rock that i have in my head because one thing i never wanted to do was uh see a band that i felt was somehow 
untouchable that I could never go up to the singer or the or the you know any person in the band and, and tell them what they meant to me or how important it was. And it wasn't necessarily this thing where I wanted to bring them down from the pedestal. It was more like I wanted to put them further up where mm-hmm. I was like, look, you know, this really means a lot and it's nice to talk to someone and really say that if it really does mean that much. And it's nice to not have that weird hierarchy or separation that, you know, not all, you know, superstars or rock stars or pop stars have, but like a fair amount might have and may, you know rightfully so nowadays it's, like it's less and less safe let's let's not forget the instances where you know people could have done well to stay the hell away from somebody but yeah i still like the idea of it not being like a big deal to go and meet the people that i really idolized i really looked up to growing up and maybe who knows we make a record because i mean i feel like i'm still doing that with my bandmates with trail i still look at those guys i'm still amazed and and as much as we are very much nearly a decade into being you know bent there there is obviously going to be conflict and tension and 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 that's how what a band that's how relationships relationships are but the very fact that i can still be on stage and and say man man he's killing it he's an amazing drummer like for the years that I wasn't in the band and for the time that uh, when I was just listening to it, I've got a, a great seat in the house to see people that I really re- respect, like do their thing, you know? And then like, and that to me, that's what punk rock gives you this idea that you can, you can do it too. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe you can't do what bad brains are doing, but you can maybe <laughs> do something and share, share the stage. You can't do that. You can't do, you can't play guitar like that. Well, like, you can play guitar. Yeah, because like, <laughs> you know? punk punk is like the only form of uh, like rock music, but maybe it's maybe it's even like most types of music. Like it's one of the only forms that does this. At least I can say safely say that that like uh, is actively demystifying the process as it's as a matter of course. You know, like anyone can yeah. do this. We're not special up here. Like anyone, go out and start a band and like. You know, bands straight up telling people how to put out records, you know, and like you can still call Ian Mackay, you know, I, and once again, I, if you're a listener, please don't do this, but you know, you can still call Ian Mackay and get advice on how to put out a record. Like he'll still do that, take that time and, and do that. And like, you know, Ian Mackay is standing by now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, call, we have him on wake him up. 24 wake him up. hour telephone. His personal phone number is. Uh, but you know, like I, I just can't imagine Motley Crue standing on stage being like, "You in the crowd, you could do this too. We're not special up here. Anyone can do this. There's enough Aquanet to go around. Yeah, we just, <laughs> you, yes, you, you can look like us. You can be like us. Yeah, it's like there's there's a Sephora at every mall. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the shade. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's, yeah, that, that is something where obviously, you know, people go up and they aspire to be all sorts of different types of musicians, but there's something about punk rock where it's like, you could go to a show and be like, that was great. And with not much effort, I could at least get this started. It'll mm-hmm. it'll be harder to like really do something unique or mind blowing and to keep the band going. Any band is harder, whether they suck or not. It's hard to be in a band. 
Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how good you are, it's still hard. Like, and then I gotta appreciate like people that are in bands that I don't care for, but I'm like they're still doing it. And punk rock just says, "Hey, look, go do it, do this, like do this yourself. Try to make it happen, make something happen." Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, like, wrap yourself in saran wrap and like you know play like two notes like you know for thirty seconds and scream into the microphone and and honestly. You can, and who knows what'll happen? Who knows where you'll where you'll end up? Oh yeah, like the, the like some of the bands that I've seen play, or you know musicians or artists that I've seen play, it in you know under the you know umbrella of punk, it you know it, it really it, it didn't seem like they had a plan before they got up there on stage. But that's like the power of punk rock. Like you don't even have to really want to be a musician <laughs> get up there and become a musician i think i'm a prime example of that man just the fact that punk is so broad but it's definitely an accurate like term for any number of groups when you think of anything you know from like the cbgb days of like talking heads and then cbgb's you know and and you know places like the, the mud club or or you know no ABC Rio, all those places like moving to New York was maybe another important, you know, place for me, punk rock, because after leaving Atlanta and having now this more like quote unquote book knowledge, you know, by that I mean, you know, you know, the booklets that came with the, with records, like having that idea of listening to a lot of records, getting involved with all the different, you know, labels, um, GSL being a very important label too that I think going back lobbying back to California Gravity Records mm-hmm. you know band, they were still taking it to a unique level and having these bands that, that continue to defy anyone's idea or expectation of, of what punk had to be and obviously you know going back to the Minutemen they were the, the the best way that I was able to appreciate that punk didn't have to sound just like Rancid or X or, you know, the, the song, the, you know, the, the, the guitar didn't have to be distorted. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the drums didn't have to be in four, four and, you know, the song could be, you know, whatever. It could be a 10 minute long song. It could, you know, it could be a, a 30 second song, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, like, it, it, like you having, yeah. no, no, oh, no, go on. Sorry. Oh no, please, please. I was just going to say, like, if you think about, like, even Walter, you know, the same time Sister's coming out, you know, Walter's putting out the early Gorilla Biscuits stuff, um, you know, War Zone's happening, uh, you know, you have this uh, Noiseville Records sort of AMRAP style scene, like Pig Fuck Music, I think they called it, happening at the same time. You've got, like, the holdover CBGB's first wave punk scene still going on. And all these people were calling themselves punk, you know, and also like, you know, like who knows what else was going on in 87. But like, it's amazing how many genres fit under this, like, you know, four letter word. How many like bands doing different things exist under this four letter word, I should say. Because it's to me, punk is a much more heartfelt and very informed uh, phrase um then rock <laughs> you know another four another four letter word that 
that can be a, a catch off. Um, but man, like when I moved to New York and I was able to kind of appreciate this, the fact that on the Lower East Side, while New York is constantly like eating itself and constantly like destroying and rebuilding for those that uh, have the means to to exist within it, there's still still this this you know living dead of the past you know that refuses to go away you still see relics even though places might be closed you can still see in the lower east side like buildings that they just have not torn down there's just going to be a hassle there's lots of new york especially in the lower east side that still reminded me very vividly of you know the days of you know the punk rock k-day you know the late 70s and, and early 80s of a punk that maybe you know New York is best known for mm-hmm. those that feeling those ghosts still haunt you know those streets so it's nice to kind of have all that you know music you know all that knowledge and go to New York you know when I was in my late teens and early twenties being able to to really kind of see this visual again you know of, of like you know what it was like being in california but even more so now because like being being you know from age like 18 to 22 or 23 and being you know around new york i think is is a really nice time to appreciate like punk rock lore and you know the you know the old like iconic visuals like the you know the Joe Strummer, I think, Fight for Your Rights mural that was uh, that was off near First Street or something like that. Do you remember that? Um, I'm trying to remember. yeah, like I, I I didn't go to New York till much later, so uh, it's like it's like, but it's like kind of a famous mural, right? Is it? It's still there, right? Yeah, it is. I don't even know if it's still up anymore. I thought, I, yeah, I, I definitely up. seen photos of it. I don't think I ever went to it though. It's it's great to, that New York is still in some places uh, like kind of like an, a nice tribute and museum to you know punk rock. Obviously, like CBGBs is gone and stuff, but you can still have this idea of what it was like in a sense, completely erased or consumed by like modern uh, you know cultural like you know changes and 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 the movements of, of the city. You can't push out those memories as easily, I think, anymore. It, but it's, it's part of the map. It's weird when you walk around Brooklyn now, like, even, like, you know, and once again, like I'm saying, like, I didn't go to, to obviously, way after the heyday we're talking about, but, like, when I went to Brooklyn for the first time, compared to now, it's almost like an amusement park version of what it was like when I first went there in the early 2000s or the late 90s? Oh, dude. Brooklyn, Williamsburg in particular, but I guess now it's stretched all the way to Bed-Stuy, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Because 10, 11 years ago, no one I knew Bed-Stuy. And I'm sure people say that about Williamsburg. Everyone says that about everything else, like depending on when they were there. But Lower East Side in particular has that feeling of nostalgia and just that ability for me to like think back to when you know, it was like in you know, the old, the good old punk days. Yeah. But 
Brooklyn in particular, man, I probably if I if I went there tomorrow in three months, I wouldn't recognize what I saw. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's crazy there. I I never felt unfortunately the same way about Brooklyn. It was distinctly like totally getting reinvented, and with the exception of what like Peter Lever's Steakhouse or something like that. There's <laughs> there's a lot of constant growth, like. We'll that, keep the steakhouse, but everything else has got to go. Well, that's where the developers yeah. have to have somewhere to meet. Yeah, yeah. You know? They gotta, yeah, gonna have, gonna be, we're, everything's going to be high-rise. We're going to have three Whole Foods, 12 Starbucks, <laughs> and a Peter Lieger Steakhouse. <laughs> and that is now Brooklyn. I, I was staying in Brooklyn a couple times this summer uh, just for the stuff I was working on. And, like, yeah, like walking around there, it's – it's unreal, and it's like it's definitely different. Like you're saying, like then in Manhattan, especially you know in the Village or something, where you still have like physical relics of this era, where you have actual people like walking around that were around there and have been around there in that neighborhood their whole lives and aren't going anywhere. Whereas in Brooklyn, it seems like they did a pretty good job of chasing out anyone that was a local, and now it's like this like weird group of millionaires, which I don't know. I didn't even know there were that many people that could afford a million dollar condo. Yeah. Like what, <laughs> what, what, where, where are these people getting? It's so weird. Yeah. It's like, seriously, I really want to stop and, and ask sometimes these people like where, how do you make your money? Like, I really need to figure it out a little bit better than I've figured it out so far myself. So I wonder what you're doing that I'm not doing. It's, it's some black mirror shit. Suddenly they like speak into their watch and disappear in a plume of smoke or something. <laughs> yeah, they disappear they're, they're, into a plume they're, they're of something Bitcoin. That I've missed. Yeah, Bitcoin comes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you hit them over the head, they turn into twenty Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's this. Yeah, it's entering into a new era. I think that. Brooklyn, sadly, even though I lived in Brooklyn um, for many years, it, it really started changing rapidly, I think, over the past, like, maybe five years or so, it seems. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, anyone, I think, can say that their town isn't the way it used to be. I'm sure, like, I come back to Austin a lot, and now that I'm here again, there's people that have been here 20 years ago that are pretty shocked at what, like, festival culture Done, which which I like it because probably half of the time that I see you is at a music festival. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think for so us, I think like it's different, right? Like it's like uh, like a festival. I could not, you know, like going to a festival as a music fan is not something that I think would agree with me. Whereas going to a music festival, oh, dude, at, I, I try it. Yeah, it's weird, eh? It's not. It's not fun at all. My wife is, and 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 you know, like she's always wanting. Like we got to take the kids to this event. It's going to be family friendly. It's a music festival, and it's almost like uh, I get like a a weird like uh, you know like a nervous reaction. Like no no no, let's find something else to do today. There's a there's a yarn convention we can go to instead. Yeah yeah exactly exactly. It's like oh music festival or. Uh, I can wait in line and punch myself in the face for only 50 cents. <laughs> yeah. Let me get back with you and what I'd rather do. It, but, it's definitely like 
anxiety at a mm-hmm. music fest when I'm not like there, you know, with the purpose of a, of a set, whether I'm, you know, working with another band or whether I'm performing myself, like there's just like, I don't know how people generally enjoy not every festival, but I, the, but I think a lot of them can be a little trying on the on the human spirit. <laughs> well, see, I, but I find if I'm playing the festival, I love it because, like you're saying, like I get to see, you know, people like you. I get to see friends. You know, like it feels like it, it's not as lonely as touring normally is because you get to hang out with other people and other bands. Yeah. That is exciting. Going out in the crowd, I feel like I I think that it's it kind of distresses me out. Yeah. It definitely yeah. does. Like when I'm, when I'm playing the festival, <clears throat> being in the crowd, like doesn't throw me out at all. I, I like seeing, you know, the bands in that context, but I think there's something about like, um, seeing shows in a club or at a, at a proper like venue where that there's one artist, it's a headline, and maybe there's a solid like direct support or co-headline or whatever, where the event is really focused on what I want to see. And it's, it's kind of hard to really get into a set, I think, at a festival sometimes as opposed to a, uh, you know, to the experience you have just seeing a standalone show, which I, which I, I prefer to see shows that are just like a, a headlining show at a club or a festival, but I prefer to definitely play festivals. Yeah, in the exact same way. And I prefer that other people come to see <laughs> festivals. <laughs> I, prefer, I prefer people to come see me at these festivals. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will. I will say I prefer people to see me anyway, anywhere, and anywhere, any way I am. Yeah, playing. yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely great to uh, have people that are willing to just yeah. see your band. Period. Which I do appreciate about festivals is that it brings people there to just kind of check some stuff out. Like it's definitely people who are like, Hey, I remember another thing going back to when I was living in Atlanta and my, my dad, he would give these like sermons as a, as a, you know, minister and then drive my best friend and I like overnight from Atlanta to like Orlando, Florida for some like punk rock fest. And he would have (laughs) no problem doing that. And that was like, to me, another important thing about like the fact that my dad knew about punk rock and for some reason he was just like all about it he understood like it's it's maybe like just educational uh qualities of it yeah like then and i think that he he understood that these songs were protest songs just like bob dylan that he liked you know the groups that he gravitated towards like he he liked Rancid as well. He likes, you know, certain bands as well. He likes Bad Religion, which would be, you know, kind of mind blown if he, he realized now that Jamie, you know, plays as well with uh, hmm. Bad Religion. My dad actually passed away ten years ago this week. Oh, I'm so I'm so sorry, man. Which is which is pretty crazy. But um, reflecting on it, that was also a really cool thing to have. Is a parent that was supportive of punk rock because that's not something you'd normally get especially now with a religious you know parent it's like having someone support you in pursuing whatever art you believe in is 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 great you know you know especially because like jean-michel basquiat and like other artists who came out from a punk scene were very important to me like 
just as much as people that were primarily known as musicians. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like I'm, I'm privileged to be in a group, you know, and that always appreciates visuals. I think you do as well. Like how nice it is to incorporate like themes and visual ideas along with the music. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it just like it, you know, it, it talk. It takes it from just being a piece of music to being in something that's like a statement. That's what Gold Standard Labs and like the Three One G records, you know, especially when they were you know shaped vinyl, colored vinyl, like the Le Shock record. I think that you could play the actual record cover, and you just had all these amazing different like very curious and unique ways that these records are being presented. And it seemed bigger than, than just the music and bigger than the band. I was like, this is a piece of art. This is like something that's still rebellious in its own, like nonconformity to just be a black disc or just be a CD. <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciated that aspect of it too. And I think my dad was looking from a, a very broader sense of of uh, what punk would mean to me like from an artistic viewpoint how was he aware of it just kind of like from media reports or oh dude through me dude because sometimes he'd go to the show sometimes my dad would be in the back of like an h2o show oh really and i would be in the pit with my friend and my dad would just be in the back with like a super big gulp or something yeah, at the end of the show, he'd just be like, "Man, those guys can really pogo." Like, meanwhile, I I, I could have gotten like my head kicked in, like I could have been like just in the pit, and that's what you kind of need to do when you're a kid. Like, it's so exciting. It's funny because nowadays I'm like, "Oh, my neck!" <laughs> you know, like actually, I actually have a funny story <laughs> when I, I went on tour with uh, Youth of Today, Trash Talk, and. Um, uh, Wes's band, American Nightmare. American Nightmare. Give up the ghost. <laughs> yeah. We did a Vanishing Life tour earlier this year um, in Europe. And every night during Youth of Today, like this is, and I didn't get a chance to see them growing up, but this is like, you know, this is great. This is like. Oh, and Walter's so much fun to watch in Youth of Today these days. Like, Dude, uh, really great because as a bass player, he, yeah. he just has a very easy like flow to him. And for <laughs> yeah. me, I think I'm a lot more rigid live. Well, like I don't want <laughs> like, like you are an amazing bass player, like an unbelievable mu- person to watch play on stage and stuff. But oh, like, thanks, man. But like, yeah, but like you, you know, like you, like Walter's just got this like it's almost like the bass is secondary to the stage jumps. At some points in the set. Exactly. Exactly. It seems he seems like someone dancing to music in their room, <laughs> not giving a fuck about who's watching or not, but just looking cool about it. It's like so natural, like when he's on stage. Yeah. And it's like the jumps and moves, it's like so bouncy. I'm like, whoa. And he's playing every single note perfectly. And I'm like, everything sounds great. So Wes and I are on side stage every night seeing you for today. And. We keep saying, like, oh, we're going to jump out. We're going to totally, like, you know, jump into the crowd from the stage. we got to do it. And then every night right before, we kind of, like, 
we kind of hesitate. And then the last show's in London at the Electric Ballroom and Wes and I are side stage. Like, it's either now or never. And Youth of Today's been playing for about, like, 45 minutes, which for Youth of Today's set, that's damn near, like, you know... <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you like, you're, 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 getting, you're getting into fish territory. Amphitheater shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is straight up, you know, widespread panic. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're... We're we're just sitting there. I'm like, oh, I gotta do it. So I, I I decide I jump out, and and I picked the, the time to do it when it was the last note of the, the last song of the show. Like I launched went on a song that I didn't even recognize. I didn't even know it was the end. But it was straight up on like literally jump and then the thank you good night, and so the C parts. Like seriously, everyone turns around and like is immediately going into waiting cabs or checks, you know, whatever. It's like it's like <laughs> like immediately, the crowd is like all, all but one guy looking down at his phone, like you know, on Tinder or something, like looking down, and that's exactly the guy that takes <laughs> the entirety of my stage dive. Uh-huh. And we slide. Like slide in, like I somehow like skinned my arm wearing an American Nightmare sweatshirt. It's skinned like on the inside. I like slid for like a, a bit, and this guy literally, in very British way, is like, "Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't see you jumping into me." <laughs> like <laughs> apologetic that I literally just just dropped him down. I was just very very sorry about it, but. And that's why now I, I think twice before jumping into a crowd. But it's that same thing that you do when you're a kid, when you're like, don't give a fuck. And, and the idea of going to a pit, it just seems like a, an initiation. And then also your, your badge of honor that you can go in and, and realize it's all fun. And no one means to be the guy jumping out of the audience on the last part of the song. <laughs> to down. No, one, no one means to do that. But um, sure enough, my dad was really into people pogoing and thought it was like fantastic and would just drop me off at shows. And and so he got into the bands and then I start playing them, you know, whenever we were in the car together. And, you know, he was into like Weather Report. He was into Pat, Patty Smith. So he got mm-hmm. the punk stuff. He was into Talking Heads. So he got that, too. Mm hmm. And I guess and he so, like probably heard the positive vibes, right? Like like H2O at that point, when stuff they're staying on stage, like that's like a amazing message for kids to be hearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of positivity and there's a lot of like in- inclusiveness with a lot of the stuff coming out of you know, the New York hardcore scene, which mm-hmm. which you know scenes or something and, and i'd eventually like to to talk more about you know different cities and their various you know scenes and various people that brought them up like I, you know eventually that was something that i'd like to do is like talk to everyone like in the san san diego area or like east bay area and in, in, in you know in the dc scene and then look in the punk scene and you know Austin, Toronto, Montreal, like mm-hmm. it's so great that someone coming from another city can go in and find this like rich, like strong and very distinctive strain of punk, you know, and, and, and that's to me what was another thing that was so beautiful about it. 
what was your first show that you actually went to concert? Like, no, it doesn't even have to be punk uh, for the very first one. Dude, you know the first I probably went to was like Jethro Tull. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> No, that's uh, fucking awesome. No, what do you mean, wah wah? You know, I know like, some people may may have you know mixed feelings about Jethro Tull. Well, like you know, was, like uh, I don't think they should have beaten Metallica for the Grammy, but at the same time, like uh, you know, like that flute's a pretty badass instrument. Yeah, Jethro Tull. There, there should there needs to be more punk. There needs to be more punk flute. I believe that. Uh, You've utilized the flute on on some records, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we definitely had some flute on a couple things, but like to me, the ultimate punk flute is Rob Tyner played the flute on some MC Five stuff. Oh yeah, man, that's uh, you know, I think that's maybe where like, and we we can go back to Jesser Tull in a second. (laughs) 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 I think that's another thing is that my dad grew up in the era of uh, like, you know a lot of, uh, of, of MC5, and so I one of my bands, uh, one of my early bands, did a cover of MC5, and we had a female vocalist, and she ran her vocals through an echoplex, and I was a <laughs> bass and drum, so it was like a really weird version of it. And I think that that, uh, that was another like kind of link to me in punk, and so... Maybe that's why my dad like got into like H2O and other stuff. <laughs> he loved MC5. But um, going back to like my first concert, yeah, Jethro told my my friend Mike. His dad uh, took us to see Jethro Tull, and like, uh, and I remember him uh, like making us dinner before. It was it was a very like adult evening. It wasn't like later you know getting dropped off and you know house parties and stuff to see shows but it was like in an amphitheater but then i think h2o may have been actually you know what i think not h2o but i think maybe um unwritten law do you remember that yeah okay, San Diego yeah yeah definitely and they were from poway like and they, they had this thing called crazy poway kids i'm trying to remember who i spoke to recently about like uh <laughs> how they were like on the other side they were in the they were like in the rival crew from the Unwritten Law guys. But I remember Unwritten Law was like <laughs> one of the first bands I saw. I think they were playing with Shelter. So you, you were you were seeing Ray you were seeing Youth of the Day in some uh form really early I on. I was definitely seeing it, but it was a weird time because it was a time I think that um by by this time I was like Man, I was like, like 15, 14 or 15, and maybe 14. And it was definitely a period where punk and, and ska punk had infiltrated into like mainstream. Yeah. So it was definitely a unique period for for all of those bands. <laughs> it was Shelter doing, it was like man, Mantra era, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think they did. Because I, I remember being on a Vashing Live tour. We, we pulled up uh, one of those, yeah, one of those records. And they had like a, a ska song with a lot of horns. And and it was it was a unique era for that. It was definitely like 
but still it was firmly rooted in like the fact that shelter opened you know me up to revelation records mm-hmm. to revelation there's so many cool bands you know that i got into and i think that like the ratio of like you know hits to misses i think that revelation i got a lot more hits than maybe maybe sst gave me a lot of great important records but revolution revelation rather was it was great every time I'd say SST maybe six out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rev definitely. There's some like, there's some ones that I would skip over a little bit. But you're right. Like consistently, you know, there's always good stuff. And like once again, like Revelation, people are always, you know, not people are always, but some people would be like, oh, the Youth Crew label, you know. But like you think about like they put out Kiss and Goodbye records. They put out. You know, like, they put out, like, stuff that is definitely not, you know, like, put out quicksand stuff. They put out Inside Out stuff. They put out Rage Against the Machine records. They put out No Doubt vinyl, too, at one point, I think. So it's it's definitely, like, a label that has, you know, once again, a, a big, wide sort of swath of the genre of punk rock on it. Well, that was what was cool to me. One of the coolest kind of, like, punkest things that Matador had, I think there was... Uh, What's up, Matador compilation? Do you remember that? The video, yeah. It was like a three CD disc, and it and it had like um, these hip hop groups that uh, Matador was was doing shit with at the time, <laughs> which sucks because like I can't remember. I remember just like individual, you know, tracks. <clears throat> it was the arsonist. It was nonfiction. Arsonist, yeah, it was uh, nonfiction. And, right, yeah. Uh, DJ Paul Burnham, Burnham, or whatever his name was, or MC Paul Burnham. Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, yeah, that was, to me, and then, you know, even to down to, like, sub-pop, you know, fucking with Shabazz Palaces and stuff, to me, that, and, and then GSL doing subtitle and all that. Like, mm-hmm. I appreciated that that was, like, the punk part of hip-hop. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, if they were, you know, uh, they had the ethos down that I was really fucking with, I think. that That's, to me, what was so important about these labels. And after I trusted them to bring me, you know, Matador, I probably got into, obviously, you know, I think it was like Pavement, like John Tabu's Explosion of NGSL, I got in for you know, Locust Records and mm-hmm. Kill Me Tomorrow Records. But then you suddenly you see a, a weird hip-hop record put out. And it's like the coolest that brought me all the way to, you know, appreciating Flying Lotus and getting involved with him. Like That, it's it's great. Punk rock, can, I, I feel like, can be the gateway to so many cool, unique takes on anyone. So to me, it's definitely just a statement against the norm or against conv- convention. It's yeah. conviction against convention. convention. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's also like it's it's you know I think with uh, you know Matador putting out those hip hop records, but like even further back, like Def Jam, like Rick Rubin when Def Jam started putting out his punk band as the first two Def Jam records, or like you know there's this interview I remember reading with Lil John where he talked about how he used to be straight edge, like call himself oh, yeah. straight edge, and he talked about like minor threat and the bad brains and stuff like that. And it's like, 
Oh, yeah, it is a genre that, like, you know, it was a novelty genre. People were like, oh, it's dead in 1978, but, like, it's amazing. Like, you look at, like, you know, DJs, like, uh, that guy, uh, Bass Nectar, was in uh, some sort of, like, death metal, power violence grindy type band. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, you know, for one, uh, Stephen Bruner, Thundercat, he was in Suicidal Tendencies. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely and a major then, one, too. You know, and then, you know, there's, you know, people, I don't know if, it, do, you, do you remember what called Death Comet Crew? Oh, it sounds vaguely familiar, and I don't know if it's just from reading reviews over the records or something. It's like an old hip-hop group from around that era in the early 80s that, for one thing, has one of the coolest names. <laughs> any band or any group that... You know, but they're worth checking out. It's definitely, you know, from that era. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it all just comes around full circle with, you know, groups back, you know, in that age. You know, well, back with, even with Beastie Boys and their early work with Kate, which, man, Mm -hmm. if Beastie Boys were ever to do something, if Mike and and Adam were ever to do something, it'd be cool if they did something with with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. from Luscious Jackson. Yeah. Which, you know, again, them coming out of out of punk and still, you know, obviously having a foot in it, you know, throughout the whole time the Beastie Boys was going on with their label, um, Grand Royal, which was definitely something that they took, you know, from inspiration from uh, Bikini Kill's uh, fanzine mm-hmm. that they published, which, you know, Bikini Kill is a whole nother, like, you know, conversation when it comes down to punk and how, how, you know, understanding how many amazing females were involved, like, besides Kira from Black Flag. I think I probably got into, you know, Black Flag mainly in a way through the fact that Mike Watt, who's a Minuteman, he's pretty much, if you haven't noticed, one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm hmm. He, you know, Mike Watt did work with Dose, you know, with Kira, Kira being, you know, the, that, you know, the later era, later era of uh, Black Flag. And I felt like that was, to me, my favorite lineup of, of Black Flag. Really? Because it, it had, like, I guess more aesthetically, maybe, maybe not necessarily, like... The music that was coming In terms out. of songwriting, <laughs> yeah. the music, but... <laughs> Not at all. I get the aesthetic. I I get what you're saying aesthetically too. That is what I would have loved the band like (laughs) to (laughs) be in my mind with Kira playing bass. Obviously, Chuck is also an amazing bass player too, and I loved seeing him. uh, I think uh, I saw him with Flag uh, recently, which I hope they keep doing. Um, I know there's a lot of weird, you know, things tied up with with flag and, and black flag now, which I don't know. Did you, did you see the flag performances or I'm sure oh, you yeah. played some shows with them, right? No, we didn't get to actually, unfortunately we didn't get to play any shows with them. Maybe we, you know, maybe we were on one of those festivals type things with them, but, uh, we, I, they played Toronto and then I, after the show interviewed all of them and it was revealed to me that certain members of the band had been given some, uh, weed brownies and it's one of the fucking craziest interviews I've ever done in my life. Oh, really? It's like Bill Stevenson screaming Ted Nugent lyrics in my face at one point. Like, it's really... 
very oh. intense conversation. I could totally see him doing that. Like, like Zach, you know, has a lot of stories from, you know, working with Bill with the Rise Records. Mm-hmm. In fact, that when I saw Flag, uh, Quicksand was playing, and that was before, um, that was before Zach was in the band. At the time, it was just me, Jamie, and Walter, and we were trying to find a guitarist. And Zach came up to me right around the time that Flag was playing. Maybe Flag had finished, or maybe you know it was around that time, and he was just like, "I'm gonna be in Vanishing Life." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, cool." Like I didn't really know him very well, but like he literally just came, basically just said, "I'm gonna do it." That's that's I'm the guitarist in that band. I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and then, and I wasn't sure. Like, and I talked to Walter. I'm like, "Hey, man, you know, you know, you know, is this guy Zach Blair?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, of course." So, I was like, he, he really wants to play in the band. He's like, well, I don't know. And so we're watching, we're watching uh, Descendants play, and we're on the stage. And Stephen Egerton comes up like it's like me, Zach, and 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 Walter like sitting right there. And he hands Zach a guitar, and Zach goes up and note for note, perfectly like it was the first time I ever heard the record. Uh, they they play like a suburban home and Zach is playing it in the same like bounciness and like, like syncopated like movements that Walter plays when he's doing youth of today. And I was like, well, it was, it was like, so surreal, literally like students, like, excuse me, hands him the guitar on cue, plays a song perfectly. And he gets off stage and we're like, Hey, so you're the, you're the guitarist <laughs> in managing life. When can we get together? When no, he, are we doing this? He's like, uh, and that's the thing about Vanishing Life. It's like, it's kind of like a sweet person band. Like everyone's kind of like a rad person in that band. Like, you know, like I know obviously touring that band would be very difficult given everyone's day jobs, but it's still like, it'd be a fun band to be on tour with. Like I'd like to be on tour with that band because everyone's kind of like a good person to hang out with. Everyone's really nice. Everyone's, we try to do things as democratically as a band can work and yeah while we aren't very active it's always a pleasure to reminisce about things since we do things so intermittently we'll send each other like hey remember this we did this a year and a half ago so it, it keeps up your like very very positive idea of the band interacting we don't have much time to like piss each other off or like get annoyed <laughs> so and, and most things are like oh man remember we did that um, I think that this year we're going to get together at some point and try to perform and and uh, you know record some new stuff. Like it's never off the table, and I think it's because it's hardly ever on the table. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, so we can't we we can't keep it on the table. So anytime it falls near the table, we're going to try to pick it up. Yeah, you can't take like it for granted it's... this way. Yeah, for sure. Like, and we like you said, we were able to do that. Um, Youth of Today tour with Walter doing double duty every night and doing it. It's cool that he can like just go on stage and just sing and then turn around and, and be like one of the most amazing bassists to watch. And, like, you know, they did a it's, show. It's def- Sorry, go on. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say they did a show. No, recently. What were you saying? They did a show recently where they made poor Steve McDonald play in three bands. He did the Melvins, he did Red Cross, and they did Off. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're drawing out. Oh, dude. They did that show a few places, didn't they? Yeah, I think they might have toured it. Yeah, they might have toured it. 
yeah, dude. Man, hardest working man. <laughs> Trying to kill Steve McDonald for. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow, the Roland Steve McDonald review. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Featuring off Red Cloud Cross and Melvin. It'd be Man, awesome if they crazy. never let if they never let him let leave the stage. They just force him to like just stand there and the, the band. Yeah, they're having him. St- they're having him stage manage. They're having him TM too. Uh, <laughs> they're like, hey man, look, you know, you know each one of these bands better than anybody. Yeah, else. exactly. <laughs> you got to be up there anyway, dude. It's like all we're saying is just a little yeah. bit more on the responsibility list, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, where where did you kind of go for your first like music band experience? Like, what was your first band you ever did? Oh, the first band that I that I played in. Yeah. Um, I believe that the name of the band was called Spanaway, and it was named after the town in Washington that that seaweed album was named after. Oh, crazy! Okay. And uh, I was a big seaweed fan, um, and I think they went on tour. Bad Religion went on tour with them. I'm not sure if who was opening up. For I thought Rancid did too, right? They opened for Rancid on a tour, maybe. Yeah, they were they were definitely like popping into the Eros. It was it was something where I I kind of had at the time, as was the style of time. Grunge was taking over everywhere, and through grunge, you were able to kind of find out some some cool bands as well, like Melvins. If, if it wasn't for probably Nirvana becoming popular i would have never found out about the melvins maybe mm-hmm. would have, it would have been a different route that i found out about them mm-hmm. um so you know hearing about seaweed and then span away seemed a cool thing and we were kind of a mess musically but i think it worked out the one thing punk rock the idea that we can just pick instruments and do it like i think the band was born on when I was watching 120 minutes at a friend's sleepover, and uh, the uh, the rancid song "Nihilism" came on, I think, or something. It wasn't wasn't like the the big hit. It wasn't Salvation, but it was like one of the, the earlier songs either on that record or, or yeah, the first time. And now I can do this. I want to play bass and sing in a band. And I, I decided, you know, that I that was that was my instrument. And the band started out like we were trying to be punk, but also we liked the idea of like shoegaze too, and also kraut rock inevitably. Like I think it, I just loved like very droney, like linear, linear rhythmic stuff. Um. And we played like a Christian gathering in a basement, you know, and then I, I think that people were just happy to hear a, a band play kind of like the rock. And these kids probably weren't able to go to concerts or anything. So mm-hmm. you know, I had my leather jacket on and my like black bass and we played a combination of like, I think we played a couple Sabado covers. <laughs> <laughs> I think we played a no effects song. <laughs> We had this very like kind of uh, daydream era like like uh, crowdy instrumental that we wrote. 
Um, we were all over the place. It sounds awesome, though. Like, this sounds like my but dream band. Looking back, I was like, you know what? That's That wasn't bad. What no effects that, song? It, oh, man, I can't remember. It had to be something from, like, uh, Punk and Drublick. Yeah. From, um, but, you know, that's another thing. Like Again, I haven't heard it in a while, but I remember in high school... There was a kid. It, what was weird about high school in in Georgia, which I knew would have not happened if, had I stayed in LA. What was weird is like you, you always think like there's the punks and there's the jocks in school, and you know the old you know stories of people being like beat up. And not, you know, I'm sure it happened to a lot of my friends too. But in this particular school I went to, and outside of Atlanta, I'm like the punk kids. There's this one kid named Johnny Foreman, and he had like a mohawk, and he also was like on the football team. <laughs> and that tripped me out because I was like a little skateboarder. Like, I was like, in maybe the idea of punk for me is this one thing. And these guys were like into sports and also into punk too. And that's what <laughs> tripped me out. I was like, what? I did not understand. I saw, I remember very vividly one of the things that I remember growing up in high school. Is probably seeing Johnny Foreman running onto the football field as his like mohawk is like kind of like drooping to the side, and I don't know if either that was a good thing or a bad thing at the time in my mind, but it made me think, you know what? Hey, to each his own, and I'm glad that he's not trying to beat me up. He's just like he loves the same music, but anyway. He and his friends kept telling me that I should listen to. Uh, I heard they suck live, which was No Effects's uh, first live record. I think they did another one, but I really stand by the fact that that's a great live record. Oh, it's one of the best live records ever. I uh, I definitely have to say that it. I'm sure it still holds up. I don't. I I'm not going to end this conversation and immediately like. <laughs> I hope you do. And Punk and Trouble with like a, a snifter of cognac or something. <laughs> 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 Definitely. <laughs> uh, put on, put on. <laughs> I heard they suck live and give me the Macallan 18 year. <laughs> no, um, I, I definitely stand by the fact that was a great record. Oh yeah, no, there's there's definitely like some killer tracks on that that you cannot help but go and revisit. Time and time again, unfortunately, if you're me. Um, <laughs> but dude, that was uh, that was my first band. Like that was what we did, and then eventually we uh, kind of morphed into like this dubby punk band. Because um, also, I really got into. I was getting into Bad Brains, and I was getting more into like Matador and, and, and like indie rock stuff. So I got like was through that. What's Matador? album which i and also folk implosion you know getting deeper into um lou barlow's uh canon from uh, which you know it's funny because i liked sebado because of listening to dinosaur jr and realizing that he broke off from from playing dinosaur jr com- completely for a long period of time and was mm-hmm. doing his own thing i just appreciated that people could be in one band and then go off and do really cool things 
you know, separately, and then eventually do, you know, do some cool things together. In fact, I think Dino Jr. was in Japan. They played that lineup with us the last time you and I were there. Yes, they did, because that's what I got in the big yeah. argument with Thurston Moore and Jay Maskus about which version of Crucified was better, Agnostic Fronts or Iron Crosses. Oh, wow. Yep, that's one of my favorite memories ever. <laughs> um, that was That was a really good time i remember i even i liked the little like cartoon avatars they made of us yeah yeah it was that was that was cool it was it was an awesome experience like i got like the day before i got an early uh i met my friend chris charlton uh he brought me to see a new japan wrestling show you know the next day we all got to play and then we're hanging out with like you know Thurston Moore and and Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow and it's like, man, this is this is this is the dream in Japan. If you remember, the band that opened up for us all uh, was War on Drugs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was, which is so funny looking back now because I hear them uh, now, and he's like Grammy Award. Nominate, you know, it's like totally they they've gone and kept doing their thing, which I really enjoyed their set then too during that uh, during Hostess Weekend, and that was that was a really cool lineup. Like I didn't know those guys. I, I think I ended up meeting the bassist because he has this project Nightlands, but it just goes to show that like from me covering Sebado when I was fifteen in my first band and my first performance to you and I being able to share a stage with Dinosaur Jr. years later when he's returned to play with Jay was uh it's really cool. During that 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 year I ended up running into Jay randomly all like all over the world. <laughs> like it was so random. Like literally like I'd be in a cafe in like in Berlin and Jay would just walk in. <laughs> and I'd be so flabbergasted because it was like I'd be like, what Jay? He's like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm like, I'm just, uh, you know, and I'm just here. We're playing a show tonight. He's like, oh, really? And I didn't even tell him where we were playing. I was just like, yeah, we're playing a show anyway. See you later. Like, <laughs> as if we were, like, in, you know, in New York or in, like, you know, Massachusetts. And, oh, yeah, we're playing a show tonight. See, see you again. And then a week later, I'd see him, like, at the airport in New York. And then we saw Then we played a show with him in tokyo so that was a time when i had just run into him like every week and i'm like on a different continent <laughs> which was really really crazy how we how somehow we were all in the same row in our flight from tokyo to like austin or wherever yeah Houston. yeah because when we when we went I to think, play uh we went to austin because it was f- uh fun 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 fest yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, we we played that show and then flew like eighteen hours and ended up playing before on the same day than we had in Tokyo, which <laughs> which you know that's science magic. Uh, it was that was a silly that's a silly routing. Yeah, looking back, who like whoever whoever roped both of us in to <laughs> yeah, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it was multiple bands that they were getting to do that. It was, it was probably it was just us, I think, actually. But uh, yeah, it was the two of us. But it was just it was fucked up and trail of that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, they were, like they were the only ones. They probably asked yeah. Dino, and they're like, "Are you fucking crazy? That seems insane." Like, what about jet no, lag? That's insane. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> no, I don't even know how. Looking back, I don't see how we possibly did that. But amped, amped, just amped. And that was, and I remember those were two really fun sets too. Well, Autry, I want to I want to have you on again uh, for multiple multiple parts. Will you please come back on the show at some point in the future? Yeah, do I, I love to because really it's it's just me catching up with you and, and talking about records. So it's a pleasure. Yep. That's what that's like. That's why I, I you know I, we waited a long time for this to happen, but I knew it was going to be good. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, yeah, let's. I can't wait for part two. Yeah, man, we're looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on. Thank you, Autry, for coming on the show. And of course, he will be back for many parts in the future. Speaking of future, next week on the show, it's it's a great one. It's someone that I've wanted to have on this thing for a, a long, long time. A good friend of mine, a good friend of... Uh, a lot of mutual friends as well, but Chris number two, uh, I, I, is that still the preferred nomenclature for Chris? But that's what he'll always be, number two, but number one to me. From Anti-Flag, that is next week on the show. It's a really awesome one. Um, yeah, he's another person. We're going from from strength to strength and, and positive people. Chris is, is someone that I... Uh, love a lot to get it when I get a chance to see him, get a chance to talk to him. So I can't wait for you to hear it next week on the show. That's it. Um, go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. And uh, that's it. I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, yeah. If you want to turn it a punk shirt, uh, keep sending those emails. I've, I've got, you know, we're down to a few sizes, but. Uh, you know, keep sending them in. I'm going to get that organized real soon. Uh, just another thing on this plate. All right. Go there and make your own culture. But remember, it gets busy. <laughs>